Well, good morning. Have you ever noticed how the same thing can produce really different responses? For example, maybe even this week, in my house, if you were to present a shepherd's pie for supper, it would respond in one child exploding in delight and joy and thankfulness, and perhaps another child falling down and weeping, and perhaps a whole lot of gagging. Um, maybe you can empathize, maybe you've been through an experience like that yourself as well. But I think it's not just at our dinner table that this happens. I think it happens in all kinds of different spaces of our lives where the same thing can produce really, really different responses. And maybe even a little bit in our walk and our relationship with Jesus. Again, if we're a Christian, if we've given our life to Jesus, we've entrusted all the fullness of who we are and all of our eternity into the hands of God saying, here, just take it all. And maybe at the same time, there's parts of our souls or parts of our lives that we really wrestle to hand over to him. Maybe there's particular topics that whenever Jesus brings them up or someone else brings them up, we just say no or we shut it down. Maybe we try and bargain with God, maybe just a little bit. Or maybe there's those spaces where we kind of tune the voice of God out because we don't really want to hear at all what he has to say to us, and we would just rather just ignore him completely in these particular areas. And so it's interesting how the very same thing can produce really different responses within us. And again, today's Palm Sunday, and on Palm Sunday, we celebrate the goodness of Jesus riding into Jerusalem as king to rule and to reign. But there's very different responses to that in the first audience and also sometimes within our own hearts as well. And today we're going to look at, at Mark's gospel and a little bit at Luke's gospel as well to get two really interesting contrasting perspectives on exactly the same event. And so if you want to join with me, feel free if you uh, have a Bible or Bible app to turn to Mark chapter 11. I'll be getting in, in verse 1. And again, if you don't have one with you, there's no pressure it'll be on the screen, and I'll read it for you as well. And as I read this passage, I want you to look for what are the ways that this group of people are just excited and delighted in the rule and the reign of God in Jesus coming into Jerusalem as king. So we read, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written, ridden, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found the colt in the street, tied in a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing around asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the, in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts and looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. And so do you see the sense of exuberance, the deep sense of excitement in this passage? Again, Jesus is riding in, and people are just overwhelmed. First of all, we see there's somebody out there who has a colt, which is a fairly valuable piece of property at that particular point in time. And just because two random guys go up to him and say that Jesus needs it, he's willing to part with it, to just let it go off into the distance, trusting that it will come back at the right time. And then also we see this group of people taking their cloaks. For some of them, this would have been their most valuable possession. And they throw them down on the ground in front, while others run out to the fields and cut down branches and throw these down the pathway. They want to honor Jesus to such an extent that even the colt he's riding on won't need to touch the ground. 
It's kind of like a whole new version of rolling out the red carpet. And as they come and see Jesus, they're just overwhelmed with this deep sense of delight. They're proclaiming boldly and passionately, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. They're not holding anything back. This is a picture of exuberance, of an overwhelming delight, of a passionate response to Jesus. And why do you think they respond so passionately? Again, for us, it doesn't mean a whole lot that Jesus would jump on the back of a colt and start riding down a particular hill, but for these people, this meant a great deal. Centuries before, the prophet Zechariah had looked forward to the coming of the Messiah and had written this, and the people understood this that day. Zechariah had said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Again, Jesus is fulfilling this passage. That's why they put so much emphasis on the disciples getting a particular colt. As Jesus comes down the hill from the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem, this is the route that the ancient kings would have taken when they were coming home in victory. And as the people that day see Jesus standing on a colt and coming down this particular road from the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem, they recognize exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying he is king. He is coming to take over the throne of his father David, to rule and to reign. He's the long-awaited Messiah who is coming in to bring the fullness of the kingdom of God. And as the people around Jesus see this, they explode in delight. They explode in a resounding sense of passion because they just long for the kingdom of God to come. Because they know when the kingdom of God comes, it is righteousness and it is goodness. It's everything exactly as it was meant to be. It's the peace of God descending. And not just peace in the absence of conflict, but a deep rightness where everything is just whole and as it was meant to be. As they see Jesus coming down, they are eager and they are passionate to receive this kingdom because they know when Jesus is in charge, it's just so much better. And also Luke will tell us that these people had been with Jesus. They have seen him, they have seen him do other things before. Again, some of these people maybe have been healed by Jesus. Others have been delivered from evil spirits. Others have been empowered. Maybe a bunch of them ate the food when he fed the 5,000. They understand who Jesus is. They know that when he touches their lives, it moves for the good. They are restored and they are healed. They are empowered. They're renewed. They're set free. And they recognize when Jesus moves in, it just goes so well. And so they're willing to passionately and holistically receive him, even though they know that it means change, even though they know it means upheaval, even though they know that it means if he is king, they need to submit their lives fully to him, to allow him to rule and to reign over them. They just can't wait for more and more and more of the rule and the reign, the dominion of Jesus over and in and through them. And so they respond with this explosion of delight. And I think for many of us, this mirrors our own experience. Maybe you remember that moment when Jesus first touched your life and the sense of peace that just washed through you. Or the moments where you you have encountered the love of God and it changed you from the inside out because you knew this perfect, unconditional love that wasn't dependent on your performance. Or maybe Jesus has healed your mind or your body or relationships. Maybe he's set you free. Maybe you've seen the way that he strengthens and sustains you day in and day out, and you know that he's just so good. 
And this is what we experience with him because we know that all that he brings to us is good and life-giving and powerful and amazing. So our our hearts are soft and open to him. We want to resound in deep senses of delight like we did a few minutes ago. We want to celebrate his rule and his reign. We want to welcome it in more and more and more because we know that all that he does is just so very good. And we're willing to lay ourselves down and give him the best of our time and even our possessions and whatever it might take because all that we want is to just be a part of this good and this beautiful work that God is doing because it's such a privilege to know him. And we long to see him rule and reign in our hearts and our minds and our families and in our church and our community and around the world in each and every way because it is right and it is good and it produces wholeness and justice and peace and fullness. And we just want so much more of the reign of Jesus. But we also recognize on that particular day, this isn't how everyone responded. In Luke's gospel, we get another perspective of some of what was going on 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 that day when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem as king. In Luke 19, beginning at verse 39, we read, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so while there's this whole group of people who've been traveling with Jesus for a long time, they're thrilled, they're passionate, they're excited, they long to see his kingdom come and his will be done. As he comes towards the city of Jerusalem, this is the response. The people in the city are somewhat less enthusiastic about the rule and reign of Jesus. And the Pharisees come to Jesus harshly and demand that he silence his disciples and that he do it now. Because the Pharisees also recognize what Jesus is saying. As they see Jesus on that colt coming over the Mount of Olives and coming down that road, they know exactly that Jesus is declaring that he is king, that he is Lord, that he is the long-awaited Messiah, and they will have absolutely none of it. You see, they don't really believe Jesus. Jesus looked profoundly different than they expected in a Messiah, and they're not willing to humble themselves. They're not willing to learn from him. They don't want any part of his kingdom, and they are demanding that he stop this ridiculous display and that he do it now. Probably the tremendously afraid because they recognize that Jesus is claiming to be the king, and they already have a king. They have Caesar to whom they are bound to pay taxes and to submit to his rule, and they realize when Jesus comes down that mountain, he is moving his followers onto a direct collision course with the Roman Empire, and they are afraid of what it will cost. They're afraid of the civil unrest. They're afraid of the people who will be killed. They're afraid of the armies marching in. They're afraid that maybe the temple will be destroyed. And also for these people, they're in positions of power and authority, and they're afraid of losing their control. They're afraid of losing the status quo. They're afraid that their position will somehow be diminished by Jesus' rule and by Jesus' reign. And so they come to Jesus and they say, you have to stop this. You have to stop this now. This is not true. This is not real. You must end this now. And Jesus simply turns to them and says, if these people stop crying out, the rocks will do it for them. He reminds them that something so grand and so large of such a significant and cosmic effect is taking place that if the people stop crying out, creation itself will pull out a voice and resound with Hosanna because it just has to be done. Now, this is a tragic, tragic picture. Because you see, the Pharisees were the religious experts of their time. They knew the scripture better than absolutely anybody else. They had dedicated their entire lives to knowing God and serving him, of doing everything that they could possibly imagine that he might want them to do, and teaching everyone around them to do the same. And the profound tragedy of this passage is that when God himself is right before them, they miss him. 
They reject him. They fight against his rule and his reign. They are unwilling to receive it. And could you imagine spending your whole life in a relentless pursuit of something and then just giving it up because you couldn't give up control? And it turning out in the end that you fought against the very thing that you had given your life to pursue because you just couldn't receive it. This is a tremendous tragedy. And when we think about it, it's just kind of silly. You know, Jesus is obviously king. He obviously rules and reigns over all things. He sustains and holds the entire universe together by his very being. Why would we resist his rule? Why would anyone push back against the reign of God in their life or in their experience? It's just so good. But I wonder how often in my heart and soul and in yours, there's spaces where we fight against the rule and the reign of God. Again, for some of us today, we have fought against the rule and the reign of God for all of our life. Some of us have chosen that we will not receive Jesus as Savior, we will not receive him as Lord, because we just maybe don't believe it. It maybe doesn't look like we expect that it should. Or maybe we recognize that if we receive Jesus, it will require change. It will require us to submit our lives to Jesus, to give up control, to live our lives centered on him and the goodness of who he is, and not a life centered on ourselves and our own ambitions and desires. And maybe we just won't have it. And for some of us, we have fought against the reign of Jesus for all of our life. But even for those of us who are pursuing Jesus and walking in relationship with him, maybe there's also spaces where we are fighting against the rule and the reign of Jesus. Again, this can show up in all kinds of different ways. Maybe we have very different emotions or emotional responses to him. Maybe on so many levels you've said to Jesus, Jesus, you can have all or maybe even most of my life, but just not these pieces. For some of us, we fight Jesus' reign in our plans for the future. We know that God is good and he always wants the best and he knows the beginning from the end and he knows absolutely everything, but we want to control our life and the direction that we set it in. We don't know why we would fight against his rule, but we just do because we want to control it. We want our life to look the way that we want it to go. For others of us, it's a particular area of sin. We recognize that God has called us to change or to grow or to find freedom in this part of our life, but we just will not do it. And we hide it away in shame. Or maybe we live it out boldly and blaringly to try and make it all right. And all the time we realize that God is calling us to change these things, but we just won't do it. Or maybe there's places where we have been deeply and profoundly wounded. And we guard these places so tightly that we will not even let the reign of Jesus in because we don't want him to touch them. Because we think that it's going to hurt too much. Maybe it's a step of obedience that he's calling you to take, or maybe it's your family or your occupation or your sense of dignity or your sense of control or one of a thousand other things. Whatever it might be, any time we say no to Jesus, we are resisting him as king. We are resisting his rule and his reign. We are doing exactly what the Pharisees did when they said, Jesus, you must bend to our view of reality, to the way that we think things ought to be, and Jesus won't have it because Jesus has the perfect and the accurate view. And he's inviting us to step into his fullness and his goodness. And so are there any particular places today where you resist the rule and the reign of Jesus? Those places where you just say no? Or those places where you try and bargain? Or those places where you just tune his voice out and every time anyone or Jesus tries to talk about these things, you just resist it and you just tune it out and drown it out because you just don't want to hear it? In all of those spaces, we resist the reign of Jesus. 
And Jesus' response to this rejection is powerful and easily the most painful part of this passage. Again, he knows the beginning from the end. He knows the long and the short-term consequences of the ways that we resist his rule. And so we read, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Again, as Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives towards the city of Jerusalem, coming in in a great and a glorious moment as king with the people celebrating and singing Hosanna, he looks at the city of Jerusalem and just weeps. Not like a slight tear coming down the side of his face, but a deep guttural weeping. Because Jesus sees Jerusalem and all that it was intended to be. He sees that it was intended to be this beacon of light and life and hope, a place where people could come to know God and see the goodness of who he is, a place where his presence would dwell and pour out to the nations around it. And he recognizes that as they reject him, they are rejecting life. And the long-term consequence of their rejection of him is that ultimately this city will be destroyed and there will be tremendous loss of life. And Jesus just weeps. Because if they had only known what would bring them peace, they would have done something profoundly different. Again, I think for me, I think for you, so often we feel like if we push Jesus back for long enough, we won't have to do the hard things that we know he's asking us to do. And it's true. If we reject Jesus and if we push him back for long enough, we will not have to do the hard things he's asking us to do. Because Jesus doesn't force us to move forward. But I can't escape the fact that I wonder how often does Jesus look at my life and how often does he look at your life and our life together and how often does he just weep? How often does he look at us and say, if you had only known what would bring you peace, if you could have only understood the consequences in the short term and the long term of rejecting my rule and choosing not to do what I'm asking you to do, if you could have only understood what these things would cost, you would have done something so very different. Again, let's take the example. When we, resi when we re resist Jesus' rule with our future, Again, if we could have only known the good and the beautiful plan that Jesus had for us, if we could have only known how deeply our souls would be satisfied with all of his decisions for us, if we could have only understood the beautiful way that he would use our lives to shape and to change countless other lives around us, we would never resist his rule. We would gladly embrace the good and the beautiful life that he's offering to us. If we could have only understood how the damaged and wounded places of our souls would cause damage to us and to the people around us if we don't release them into his hands, we would release them quickly and freely and easily because we know that he brings healing. When we think about the areas of our sin and our pride and in our arrogance and our selfishness and our lust and our greed and our malice and gossip and whatever it might be, we engage with all of these evils because we think they make us strong. We think they will give us pleasure. We think that they will give us dignity. We think that they are the right way to go. We embrace all of these things because we think they will give us something good and valuable. But if we could only see, 
If we could only recognize the tremendous cost of diving into these evils, how much they would weigh on our souls and rob us of our peace and our joy, and how much they would cause chaos in our lives and relationships, we would never embrace these things. I recognize in my own life for years, I struggled privately with sin, and I knew Jesus was saying to me, you need to have a real and open and honest conversation with people around you about what's going on in your soul, and I resisted him because I just didn't want to do it. Because in my pride, I didn't want other people to think less of me, so I just said, I'm just going to weigh this thing and hold on to this and try and work all this stuff through on my own. But if I had only known... If I had only known how much confession and an open conversation would bring truth and peace to the deep places of my soul, if I had only known how good Jesus' plan was to walk me through a journey of freedom and how much joy and delight it would bring to the deep places of my life, I never, ever would have resisted him because his rule and his reign is always good. It produces life and justice and peace and hope and abundance and goodness. Even when it's hard and even when it's difficult, it is always best for us and it's always best for the people around us. And today is Palm Sunday. And today we recognize the truth that Jesus comes in to rule and to reign as king, to sit on the throne of his father David, to bring an eternal and a lasting kingdom. And we've sung about this passionately this morning. We've sung Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have welcomed him in. But I can't help but wonder, in how many of our souls are there places where we are still resisting the rule and the reign of Jesus? For how many of us are there those spaces where we just simply say, no, I am unwilling to move forward with you? If we could only know what would bring us peace, we would never resist him. If we could only understand the depths of his love and his grace and his goodness, we would never fight him. If we could only know his compassion and his mercy, we would never hold back. If we could only see the short and the long-term consequences of our resistance, we would never embrace these things. And so today, let's not miss this moment, this moment to embrace the goodness of God and the wonder of his presence within us. Let's not miss this chance to experience the depths of his peace. And so I want to encourage you, let's just take a moment and let's just be open and honest with Jesus, maybe for the very first time, and just ask him, Jesus, where am I resisting your rule? For some of us, we already know. It's already pretty clear. For others of us, we may be surprised. And so just take a minute and just ask him, Jesus, where am I resisting your rule? And once you recognize what that is, to the extent that you are able, I want to encourage you, just open it up and offer it to him. Maybe you need to ask for his forgiveness for all the ways you've resisted him in it. Maybe it's just a simple say, Jesus, I will do whatever you ask in this particular area, or I recognize you're asking me to have this conversation, or you're asking me to give to you this part of my life. I'll do it. To the extent that you're able, have that conversation with him. And where you find that you're really resisting, where you find that you just can't trust him or you just can't let go, I want to encourage you just to remember his goodness to you in the past. 
I want to encourage you just to reflect on the ways that you've seen his love or his grace or his care and recognize you really can trust him. And his pathway is always good, even when it's hard. And for those of us who recognize in this moment that we're not walking with God, that we don't have a relationship with him through Christ, just simply say with me, Lord Jesus, would you have mercy on me? Would you forgive me and save me and lead me? I long for your rule and reign. And so, Father, we come to you. You know better than anyone how much we wrestle with you for control. Father, you know the deep places of our souls where we are wounded and damaged, the places where we are wrestling with sin, the places where we are fighting against your best intentions for our lives. And Lord, to the extent that we are able, we surrender. We release control. We invite you, Spirit of the living God, to flow in us and through us, to rule and reign over our hearts and our minds and souls and our bodies and our decisions and our being. Come and reign in our life as a community. We are afraid, profoundly afraid, but we ask that your peace would overcome our fear. We ask that you would breathe freshness and newness and life and joy and delight. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are quick to respond to you because we are so deeply afraid. We feel such a desperate need for control. And so Jesus, to the extent that we are able, we give ourselves to you. Amen. And the band's just going to lead us in one final song. What we want to just do in this space is just take the opportunity to just engage with God, to just respond to him and to the ways that he might be inviting us to go further with him. Again, I just declare the freedom of Jesus in this place. Whatever is helpful to you, if you just need space to sit and to reflect and to invite God to rule and reign, feel free to take the time that you need to just sit and to reflect and to continue to process what he's saying to you. Again, if you need maybe just a moment to stand and to boisterously sing this out as a strong declaration of your commitment to him, feel free to engage in that. And again, for some of us, we have held on to control for such a very long time that we need a physical exertion to help us to break that sense of control. Again, if that's you this morning and you feel God prompting to you to do so, maybe you need to, to come to the front as a way of expressing just your desire to submit to him. And for others of us, we know that as soon as we walk out those doors, we're going to turn back on the commitment that we've just made to Jesus. And we need to talk to somebody else before we leave this room and just say, this is what Jesus is asking me to do. Again, if that's you, while the song is going on, I encourage you just to get up from wherever you're at or to talk to your neighbor, talk to whoever you might need to so that you won't turn away from what you've just committed to do with Jesus. Again, today, this is an invitation to just respond to his peace and to just engage with him. And so just engage with him in whatever way is most helpful to you.